welcome to episode 11. I am flying solo. I am all the way in Florida with my family while Rosie hangs back and works and helps take care of the little farm in Oklahoma. So I had a rare moment to myself. The kids walked down to the beach with my husband and I decided to take this opportunity to pop in and do a little quickie. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do my best, but I am sorry about the sound quality. Oh. <laughs> Not like it's ever on point anyways, but we try. Um, I am in a big room and it's kind of echoey. Also, I do have a little bit of a cold, so I'm working through that. But what better place to have a little cold than being able to just lay around on the beach, right? Um, so, oh, and also my microphone is kind of like flailing around attached to my bikini top. So <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, anyways, I just wanted to... Hmm, I don't have my banter partner, so I'm going to do my best and just kind of wing it. Uh, we did watch Carrie a couple weeks ago. I know that's a super old movie. Not the original. The original is bomb too, but we rewatched the um, remake. I forgot her name. She's a really great actress. You guys know who I'm talking about if you've seen it. Um, but it was really good. I'm glad that we rewatched it. And I didn't make this connection at first, but she's clearly like a really powerful dope witch. So that was cool. Um, let's see, what else have I been up to? Um, so we went to Disney World, which was really emotional for me. I didn't, I know, okay, so there's a lot of people that go there. Obviously, it's Disney World. Um, as soon as you walk in, if you're sensitive to energy the way I am, I had like chills nonstop. And <laughs> I don't know if it was energy harvesting or just the excitement from all the people around, probably a little bit of both. Um, but it, I was emotional. We watched the, the um, Disney show with all the characters and Elsa singing and the whole shebang and the fireworks. And I, you guys, I cried. <laughs> I did not expect that. I think that I was more in awe than my own kids were just because it's so nostalgic, you know, um, if you're a 90s baby and you kind of grew up, that was kind of your escape was watching Disney movies and, and that kind of thing. So I didn't expect it to hit me so hard emotionally, but I was super grateful to be there. It was a lot of fun. Of course, it was a lot of walking and waiting and stuff like that, but we did. We were lucky enough. My mother-in-law got us fast passes. So that is definitely worth it. Um, standing in line for two hours just isn't the business because you don't get to, you don't get to do everything. So what's the point? So, uh, we did that and then we went to, um, Universal Studios the day after or two days after. And I kind of liked Universal better. I didn't get to go to horror nights, unfortunately. Um, my kids are just too little for that and it's too scary, but I do want to take them when they're older or maybe Rosie and I will fly back sometime when she's uh, established with her work and everything and just go with just her. But I was kind of bummed and I didn't get to go, but I had a lot of fun with the girls. Um, they met their favorite YouTubers, which was probably the highlight of their day when we went to Universal. I think they're called the Ninja Family. I don't know if you guys have kids that watch YouTube, but that was really cute. They were like starstruck and that was so cute to watch. Um, what else? Oh, my nine-year-old and I, Cadence, she, we went on this huge roller coaster and her and I have been on a lot of roller coasters before, but this one was so intense. 
poor thing. I looked over and she literally had a tear streaming down her face because she was so scared. And I'm laughing because it's sad. And <laughs> she usually she usually loves those kinds of roller coasters, but I felt really bad. But anyway, she did it. She's super brave. I was really impressed. And it was scary. It was one of those ones where you're completely vertical. So you're vertical, like going up and then you get to the top. And then it's one of those ones that's just a huge straight drop. And it was really intense, but it was so much fun. Um, so now the second half of our trip, we're kind of just chilling. And like I said, we're at the Florida Keys and it's so amazing. So beautiful. I got really sunburnt yesterday because if you guys, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm from the ocean and I've really, really missed being at the beach because we're landlocked in Oklahoma. Um, but where I'm from, you don't go in the water unless you have a wetsuit. So this has been really awesome. I probably did too much as usual and I stayed out in the sun way too long and got really, really sunburnt. So that's kind of why I hung back now too. So I can kind of stay out of the sun for a little while, not the whole day. The rest of the family didn't get as burnt as I did, but I was just trying to soak it up because I'm going to miss it. It's so beautiful here. And we were talking about like maybe eventually moving here. I don't know about the hurricanes, but I guess if I could deal with tornadoes, maybe I could deal with hurricanes. I mean, it's just so cute here. It has that vibe, you know, that low key beach bummy vibe. And I just really could see myself um, homeschooling the kids and just being on the beach every day. Oh, I'm looking out the window. There's people kayaking. So our house is really cool. In the backyard, there is um, like a canal. So you can just fish right off the dock, which my oldest daughter has been loving. Most beautiful restaurants, uh, palm trees everywhere, sushi. Anyways, that's been my experience. Um, what else? Oh, and I finally pooped. Yay! <laughs> Us girlies who have stomach problems get it. So when you go like on vacation, I don't know if this happens to y'all, but it happens to me every single time. I like don't poop regularly and, you know, you get all bloated and you don't feel hot in a bikini and it's just not what's up. So all my girlies with stomach issues get it. Um, TMI probably, but whatever. I'm just excited that I finally pooped today probably because I got a moment alone and I was able to relax. Oh, and shout out to the coffee that I made super strong. I did it on purpose. <laughs> Matt and I were cracking up last night because I was so bloated. I looked literally like I was five or six months pregnant. <laughs> and we were joking about doing like a maternity photo shoot. <laughs> oh God, we're so stupid. But really like he had his hands, you know, when people do photo shoots and they have their hands around the, the woman's stomach. I literally looked pregnant <laughs> and I tried to prank him and tell him that I was. And I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you, I have an appointment. When we get back, I have an ultrasound appointment <laughs> and I almost had him going. <laughs> Anyways, we're stupid. But could you imagine maternity photo shoots <laughs> when you're just really bloated and have to poop? I don't know if anyone else, it runs in our family, like Rosie, like she knows my, even my daughter, like there's just something I think it has to do with our nervous system and the fact that we're maybe the fact that we're empathic. And if we don't, um, like do our rituals of releasing or drinking enough water, which I swear I try all the things, enough fiber, like 
it just it runs in our family i've noticed my grandma was the same way um so anyways this is not a poop podcast sorry i'll get right into it uh oh i did want to bring up a couple things well have you guys heard of the mckamey manor mckamey i looked up how to say this like two weeks ago but it's been you guys it's been a blur so let me know in the comments if you guys have heard of this place it sounds horrific it's a real place so according to the washington post uh let's see let's bring it back up oh i'm not connected to the internet hold that thought for a second okay figured it out so according to the washington post there is an extreme haunted house that requires a 40 page waiver critics say it's a torture chamber so there's been a lot of controversy around this and after reading the article i can understand why i honestly can't even believe this thing exists um, you can go google it yourself but i'm gonna just talk a little bit i'm gonna read from the article so it says quote before someone can enter the survival horror challenge of mckamey why is that so hard for me to say Mick Kamey, there we go, Mick Kamey Manor, there's a physical exam, then there's a background check, a phone screen, a 40-page waiver, and a drug test. If all that goes according to plan, participants have to watch a nearly two-hour documentary featuring every person who's attempted the haunted attraction in the past two years. Uh, Mick Kamey Manor is based in Summertown, Tennessee. Bill itself, uh, as an audience participant, Bills itself, oh, excuse me, bills itself as a, quote, audience participation event in which you live your own horror movie, end quote. And uh, I'm all for spooky shit, but this sounds really intense. Quote, understand that each tour will be different based upon your personal fears and can last up to 10 hours. Each guest will be mentally and physically challenged until you reach your personal breaking point. So, end quote. There's been a... um. A lot of controversy, as I said, and there's actually an online petition even. So that kind of gives you an idea of how intense this probably is. Um, and you can win up to $25,000 at the end, but no one's completed it yet. Um, there's a lot of people that want it shut down. So let's see. So this quote says, it's literally just a kidnapping and torture house. The petition says some people have to seek professional psychiatric help and medical care for extensive injuries. So the McKimmy, the owner himself, he told the Washington Post that he didn't want to confirm or deny which areas are real and which are not. Um, so he's also, I believe in another article I read that he is an ex-army, some kind of army or navy officer, which I don't know why, but that makes it even more creepier, in my opinion. Um, he goes on to claim that there's no torture, blah, 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 blah. But I, you guys, I watched the videos and there's, there's some videos that are, I don't know if they were leaked, but they're available online and they do things like, um, hold you, waterboard you, um, pour bugs all over you. Uh, geez, what else? Um, <clears throat> you can just you can go check it out for yourselves but it's um like they said it's based off your own fears so if you have a fear of drowning they'll waterboard you um if you have a fear of bugs that kind of thing um they put you in a small there's the video that i watched they put you in like a small box if you're claustrophobic and i'm not about this like it looks really fucking creepy and from the videos that i saw i don't actually understand how 
it's a thing. And there's also like, um, what podcast? Oh, there are two girls, one ghost. If you guys listen to that in their group, this is how I learned about it. People were talking about how it's literally just a torture chamber. No one actually has made it to the end. And there's, oh, this is the creepiest part in the comments, according to the comments, allegedly there's people that can pay to watch, to watch you get tortured. Does that not give so many different movies? Excuse me. Um, Hunger Games, I think. There was one of the Hunger Games where the elites were watching. So you can, people, rich people can like buy tickets and watch you get tortured. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. It just reminds me of like weird elite games that you see in movies and that could be real, honestly, for all we fucking know. Um, so I did want to talk about that for a second. Ooh, sorry. I'm a little winded because of this cold. Um, so go check it out. Mc, McAmy Manor, M-C-K-A-M-E-Y-M-A-N-O-R. Uh, real bizarre. Can't believe it's allowed to exist. And now with some true crime news. Um, did you guys ever hear about the Slender Man murder from... Okay, when was it? It, was a, it wasn't that long ago. I'll get into it a little bit. So the Slender Man murder, in case you don't know, um, it was had to do with a girl named Anissa Ware and Morgan Geyser. They lured their friend Peyton Lutner into the woods and stabbed her 19 times and claimed it was a tribute to quote-unquote Slender Man. Slender Man. <laughs> Not Swinder. Slender Man. Um, Peyton survived the attack, miraculously, by crawling to the road where she was found and recovered after six days of being in hospital, this girl is a boss. She was stabbed 19 times and recovered in only six days. So as far as the two girls that stabbed her, um, th- oh, this took place in 2014. So again, not that long ago. They were only 12 years old at the time. Both, get this, both girls were found not guilty by reason of insanity and were committed to a mental health facilities for 25 years to life. After only seven years, though, Weyer, the one of the girls, Anissa Weyer, was granted early, early release under supervision until she's 37. And I don't, I think the other girl is still in there, Morgan Geyser. I think she's still in there. I couldn't find an update on her. But yeah, so Anissa was actually just released. So that's kind of wild. This just happened a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't. I don't know all the details of the case. Maybe I should cover it. I know it's been covered a lot, but it's kind of interesting how they found her, both of them, to be guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity. I mean, we all know legends and lore, but come on, like, it's, I don't know, that case. But anyways, I just wanted to give an update in case you guys didn't hear. And I'm going to get right into it. I'm doing an episode a little bit different this time. Since we're not on our usual schedule and I'm not with my sis, um, but I just thought it would be cool since in spirit of Halloween to give 10 facts about Halloween. Some of these you may or may not know, but number one, jack-o'-lantern comes from the Irish legend of Stingy Jack. You guys ever heard of this legend? I have a while ago and it's pretty cool. So I'll give a brief uh, overview of what it means. 
Legend has it that Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for the drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin. Instead of buying the drink, he pocketed the coin and kept it close to a silver cross in his house, preventing the devil from taking shape again. He promised to let the devil go as long as he would leave Jack alone for a year, and if he Jack died, oh, sorry if you heard my stomach growling, I haven't eaten yet, that was really loud, <laughs> sorry. Um, where was I? Uh, uh, um, and that if Jack died, the devil wouldn't claim his soul. After a year, Jack tricked the devil again to leave him alone and not claim his soul. His soul. When Jack died, God didn't want such a conniving person in heaven, and the devil, true to his word, would not allow him into hell. Jack was sent off into the night with only a burning coal to light his path. He placed the coal inside a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. People in Ireland and Scotland began creating their own creations of Jack's lanterns out of turnips, beets, and potatoes. And I googled the images and um, I'll post them. <laughs> That's so, the carved out turnips are so funny. I love this legend. At first they were carving turnips and beets and potatoes so you can imagine what <laughs> the world's first jack-o'-lanterns looked like. It's nothing like what we have today. The tradition traveled to the United States along with immigrants and people began to use pumpkins native to North America for the lanterns instead. So the idea of the lanterns is to keep away the wandering spirit of Jack. So I thought that was pretty dope. Candy corn was originally called chicken feed, number two. Though many would argue that candy corn tastes like chicken feed, which I agree. That's not how it got its original name. Created in 1880s by George Renninger. Oh, my stomach. It was sold to the masses by Goltz Confectionery Company, now the Jelly Belly Company, at the turn of the century. Because corn is what it's used to feed chickens, the creation was called chicken feed, and the box is marked with a colorful rooster, which candy corn's disgusting. I don't know anybody that actually likes it. Let me know if you do. If you do, sorry, but it's sick. Okay, number three. Trick-or-treating comes from, quote, souling, end quote. Having children dress up in costumes and go door-to-door -door like little beggars demanding treats is kind of weird. Like several other Halloween activities, the tradition can be traced back to the Middle Ages and the rituals of Samhain, which I might do a whole episode on Samhain if you don't know. I believe it's the pagan um, version of Halloween, which most of our, whether Christians or anybody realizes they're not, most of our holidays do come from pagan traditions, and this one's no exception. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was believed that phantoms walked the earth the night of Samhain, so people would dress up in costumes in an effort to repel the spirits. As the Catholic Church started supplanting pagan festivals with their own holidays, like All Souls Day, the act of souling became popular, and poor children and adults would go door-to-door, dressed -door, as spirits, accepting food in exchange for prayers. Number four. The most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display is 30,581. And I'll post this picture, it's really cool. According to Guinness Book of World Records, the highest number of lit jack-o'-lanterns on display is in the city of Keene, New Hampshire, and it happened in 2013. Keene, represented by Let It Shine, has broken the record eight times over since the original attempt, and that's a whole lot of pumpkins. Number five, Halloween folklore is full of fortune-telling and magic. Old English folklore about Halloween is full of superstition and fortune-telling that still lingers today, like bobbing for apples or avoiding black cats. 
One piece of folklore says that if a young unmarried person walks down the stairs backwards at midnight while holding a mirror, the face that appears in the mirror will be their next lover. Which I'm... Lore and legend is so interesting to me. Like, who comes up with that? Like, okay, I'm going to walk down the stairs backwards. Yep, that's it. That's the legend. (laughs) Six, Day of the Dead should really be called Days of the Dead. Which, this is my birthday. I always thought that was super dope. November 2nd, the Day of the Dead in Mexico and a few other Hispanic countries starts on November 1st. Dia de los Insantos honors children that died and family members that... Family members decorate graves with baby's breath and white orchids. On November 2nd, Dia de los Muertos families honors adults who have died in place of orange marigolds on grave sites. The original Aztec celebration actually lasted a month, but when Spanish conquistadors came over to Mexico in the 16th century, they merged the festival with Catholic All Saints Day. Today's celebration is a myth, a mix of both Aztec rituals of skulls, altars to the dead, and food with Catholic masses and prayers. That's kind of cool. Number seven, Michael Myers mask is actually a William Shatner mask. The classic 1978 horror film Halloween can easily be recognized in just one image, the psychotic Michael Myers and his iconic pale face mask. Without a doubt, it's one chilling look that has struck terror into the hearts of partying teens and slasher flicks. The movie was actually filmed on such a tight budget that the crew and the cheapest mask they could find was a $2 Star Trek Captain James Kirk mask. They spray painted it white and reshaped the eye holes, making William Shatner look incredibly creepy. Number eight, Halloween originated from an ancient Celtic festival. According to history.com, the Halloween we know today can trace its roots back to the ancient Celtic end of harvest festival, Samhain. During Samhain, people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off evil spirits. Um, as you guys might already know, Halloween it is known to have a really thin veil. Um, in the 18th century, excuse me, 8th century, in an effort to spread Christianity, Pope Gregory III decreed November 1st as All Saints Day and incorporated some of the rituals from Samhain. All Saints Day was also called All Hallows and the night before when the traditional Samhain festival used to take place in Celtic regions and was called All Hallows Eves. Eve, not Eves. <laughs> not plural, just one Eve. Number nine. Desmiones has a hilarious tradition called Beggar's Night. The night before Halloween, young children in Desmones hit the streets for Beggar's Night. According to an article in Desmones Register, the event began around 1938 as a way to prevent vandalism and give younger children a safer way to enjoy Halloween. Beggar's Night is very similar to regular trick-or-treating, except kids are required to tell a joke, poem, or perform a trick for a treat. The best part, the jokes are notoriously grown-worthy, like, quote, if April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims! (laughs) I don't get it, but whatever. (laughs) Get your best dad jokes ready. That is a dad joke, but I really don't understand that one. Um, And number 10. The White House is haunted. The United States' most famous address has several reports of ghostly appearances and eerie sounds, and that's not even including election years. The most common ghost sighting is of Abraham Lincoln, who had been spotted by Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, Queen Wilhelmina, 
of Netherlands and Sir Winston Churchill. Other paranormal guests include Andrew Jackson, David Burns, and Abigail Adams. And that's it. And that's from 10... The article is from 10best.com, a USA Today article. So I thought that was kind of fun. Some of them I did know, some of them I did not. Okay. And then... I'll wrap it up by talking about a few cases and I, all of these, I really, I want to pick one and do it for my next true crime episode, but I'll just give, so this is a list of murders. I'll just give you that list and um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to pick one and delve more into it. They all deserve, the victims all deserve their own episode, but so here's some infamous Halloween murders. Number one, Ronald O'Brien has been called the man who killed Halloween and the Candyman. On Halloween 1974, eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien returned to his Houston home from a long night of trick-or-treating. His father, Ronald, gave him one last piece of candy, a pixie stick, which Timothy ate instantly. Within moments, the boy was vomiting and he died on the way to the hospital. After changing his story multiple times, police learned that Ronald was responsible for his son's death. He had poisoned the candy with cyanide. Turns out Ronald was in debt and taken out life insurance policy on his children, which is horrific. Like, I know people do anything for money, but I I did hear about this case before um, in more depth, and I was, I just, I don't, I have no words. Um, so what else I did learn about this case is he did give the other candy to his siblings. The father gave it to his other kids, but they had fallen asleep without eating it. And also I read that, um, he had stapled it closed. And when the investigators were investigating the case, they called the candy company and they're like, no, 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 we seal ours with like a hot seal. You know, um, we never staple our candy. So that's fucking wild may he rot in pieces uh second one two friends leslie ann mazara and adrian isagna were stabbed late night on halloween this one i also know in depth but here's a brief overcap leslie mazara adrian isana and their friend lauren menzo were busy handing out candy to trick-or-treaters at their home in napa california which is Northern California that's somewhat close to where I'm from, on Halloween night in 2004. At around 11 p.m., the three women went to bed, not knowing there would be one more visitor that night. Mienza woke up to a scream from upstairs bedroom and ran out of the house and drove away, leaving her two friends behind. Mazara and Nasagna, both 26, were stabbed... Excuse me? Were stabbed to death upstairs, which there's a lot of... She gives a lot of backlash, but I mean, you don't know what you would do in that situation unless it happened to you. If you heard a murderer or someone getting murdered upstairs, I don't think you'd stick around, but people will be people, and she's been kind of scrutinized a lot for that. Uh, Eric Matthew Koppel, a friend of one of the victims, eventually turned himself in and never told anyone his motive. So what I had heard, according, I forget which podcast, but... What I had heard is the guy, Eric Koppel, he was actually married to one of the girls, and it was the girl's best friend's husband. Um, and it was said that he did it in like a weird, drunken rage. There was a lot of details, uh, built up animosity between the husband and, and the wife, and he 
was jealous of the relationship that she had with one of the girls. And um, so I think that's what the motive was, in my opinion. This, the third one, the Toolbox Killers, murdered for the last time on Halloween 1979. And guys, if you are into true crime, you've heard about the Toolbox Murders. It's it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> that's all I'll say. Um, but I did not know that the last murder took place on Halloween night. So here's a recap. In 1979, Shirley Ledford was hitchhiking home from a Halloween party when two men picked her up in a dingy van. Little did she know that the two men were known as the Toolbox Killer. Lawrence Bittaker and Rora Norris were famous for picking up female hitchhikers and then torturing them with tools typically found in a toolbox, according to New York Daily Times. They often took pictures of their victims during their slayings. After torturing Ledford, they dropped her body on a stranger's lawn, and Ledford became the pair's fifth and final victim after a friend turned them in. Bittaker was sentenced to death, but died in 2019 of natural causes in BC reports. Norris, who cooperated in the investigation, was given 45 years to life. Just horrific, sick assholes. Martha Moxley. Uh, what number am I on? I forget, sorry. But here's the next one. Martha Moxley died after attending a Halloween party. The night before Halloween in 1975, 15-year-old Martha Moxley left her Connecticut home to attend a costume party. On Halloween morning, she was found dead in the backyard, beaten to death by a golf club. 25 years later, Michael Skakel, who was also 15 at the time of the slaying, was convicted of the murder and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. He maintained his innocence, and on May 4, 2018, the Connecticut Supreme Court vacated his conviction. In 2020, CNN reported that the case was reopened to the public. The next one. A Japanese exchange student in 1992 never made it to his Halloween party. When Yoshihiro Hattori, a Japanese exchange student, went out on Halloween night 1992, he was heading to a party in New Orleans. Unfamiliar with the neighborhood, Hattori struggled to find the address of the event. When he eventually found the house, he knocked but got no answer. He walked back towards his car and suddenly the door of the house opened and Hattori said, We are here for the party, but the man in the doorway shot Hattori with a revolver. Turns out Hattori was at the wrong address. When the police questioned the homeowner, Rodney Pears, he claimed that he had been scared and thought the student was trespassing on his property with criminal intent. Paris was charged with manslaughter, but invoked the Castle Doctrine, in which Americans claim they have the right to apply lethal means to protect their homes, and was found not guilty by a jury. Can you imagine? Someone just knocks on your door and you just blast them? How wild. It's fucked up. Quote, sometimes I feel like he's still in America, quote, Hattori's father told Japan in 2012. Someday he'll come back home, I say to myself. How sad. And that is the article. This is coming from The Insider. I forgot to mention that. Okay, the next one. Peter Fabiano died in what police say was a crime of passion in the late 1950s. On Halloween night, Peter Fabiano and Betty Fabiano went to sleep in 1957. They thought they were finished with trick-or-treaters, but in the middle of the night, the doorbell of their Los Angeles home rang. Peeper. Peeper. <laughs> Peter got out of bed and brought candy to the door. On the doorstep was a woman wearing a mask. She raised her hand, which was in a paper bag, and shot him in the chest. He died instantly. According to the LA Times, police eventually arrested a woman named Joan Rebel who reportedly had a sexual relationship with Peter, Peter's wife, Betty. It is believed Rebel talked an, another woman 
Goldine Pizer into murdering Peter. And I've heard all these cases in depth. So if any of these pique your interest, let us know. Maybe we'll cover an episode. Uh, there is a lot of podcasts on most of these. Goldine Pizer into murdering Peter. Ravel was convicted of second-degree murder along with Pizer and was sentenced to five years to life in prison. And both women were later released. Betty was never tried for any connection in her husband's death, which it's still unknown. Did she have something to do with it? Maybe. I don't know. I think it was just her lover kind of in a jealous rage and she hooked up um, this poor girl to do her dirty work. The next one. Johnny Frank Garrett was convicted of strangling a nun to death on All Hallows Eve. On October 31, 1981, Sister Tadea Benz's body was found naked in a covent in Texas. The other nuns were in the house and noticed a broken window in the community room, so they called the police immediately. Authorities found Benz's clothing and a knife under the bed. Meanwhile, an autopsy revealed the nun was stabbed, strangled, and sexually assaulted. Police arrested a man who lived across the street named Johnny Frank Garrett after a witness saw him running from the covenant that evening. He was convicted and sentenced to death in 1992. His last words were reported to be, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Which is like, uh, okay. Like, first of all, you're a dumbass. Second of all, a nun? Like, you're going to hell for sure. Like, if you guys know anything about nuns, like, that's their whole thing. Like, they really protect their sacred temple, and that's that's fucked up. I mean, rape is fucked up, but you know what I mean? Um, really weird. A nun? Weird. Weird flex, bro. Okay, the next one. Carl Jackson was killed over an egging incident. Throwing eggs on Halloween night is typically harmless prank, but in 1998, it turned deadly. When 21-year-old Bronx resident Carl Jackson and his girlfriend went to pick up her son from a party, teenagers threw eggs at their car. Jackson got out of the car to yell at the pranksters to stop. In response, one of the teachers pulled out a gun and shot Jackson through the head. He died instantly. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling was charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. He was convicted and is serving 20 years. 20 years?! That's bullshit. Are you kidding me? 20 years, that's it? Ay, ay, ay. You know, it always baffles me why different sentences are, are different and handled. I mean, I know there's so many variables in every case, but 20 years, he blatantly murdered somebody. He receives a card in the mail every Halloween that reads, I'm glad you're still there, from Jackson's mother. <laughs> Which, sorry to laugh, it's kind of funny. Petty Queen loves it. William Liss killed his family. This is the next one. William Liss killed his family members on Halloween. In 2010, 16-year-old Devin Griffin came home on Halloween to play video games after attending church and spending the night previously sleeping out. He noticed the Michigan home was too quiet, so he went to check on his family members. According to the Sandusky Register, Griffin proceeded to find his stepfather in bed covered in blood. When police arrived, they found two more bodies, Griffin's mother and brother. Police eventually learned that the murderer was Griffin's stepbrother, William Lisk. Lisk beat his older stepbrother, Derek Griffin, with a hammer, shot his father, William Lisk, five times, and then sexually assaulted and shot his stepmother. Holy shit. I don't think I've heard a podcast on this one. Lisk pleaded guilty to three counts of aggregated murder to avoid the death penalty, 
but not rape. Okay. But was found dead in his jail cell in 2015 from a self-inflicted wound. Jesus. I wonder what the signs were or if there's even any signs, you know? I mean, there has to be, but God, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? Okay. The next one. A brutal killing on Halloween night in 1981 remains unsolved till this day. Photographer Ronald Sisman and Smith college student Elizabeth Plotzman were beaten in their Manhattan apartment on Halloween night in 1981. Before being shot dead, their apartment was completely ransacked, but nothing seemed missing. The case remains unsolved. Whew, sorry if that was wordy and long. But yes, I know that was a lot to digest, but um, you can Google it if you want to know any more. That's the best I got, you guys, for this uh, this week. Sorry, we've missed a couple weeks. I'm hoping that we will be back on a regular schedule, somewhat regular schedule. We'll keep you posted. We might switch the days of when we record um, since Rosie's working full time and her hours are all over the place. And I'm just here. So... Again, thanks for bearing with us, and I hope you enjoyed this little quickie. I know it was a lot to digest, but uh, happy Halloween, ghoulies, and we'll see you soon.